Mick, I'm having a really tough time deciding what to get people for the holidays. Do you have any any tips, any suggestions here? Well, sure. You know the holidays can be a stressful time for anyone, so first I suggest you get yourself some CBD from Alpen Organics. Mm. And while you're on alpenorganics.com, do your holiday shopping and get your friends and family some. They'll appreciate it and it makes a great holiday gift. That's a great idea. Tell me more about Alpen Organics. It's a vegan CBD product with their hemp scientifically extricated after it was grown in Colorado. It's also veteran owned. We love it. And you can get it for 40% off when you use the discount code Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y. That's it. That's you. That's me. 40% off at alpenorganics.com. Let us know what you think. I'm Mick Torres. I'm Ashley Argoda. And, and we are Mismo. Today's guest is Garrett Clayton. You know him from Teen Beach Movie, King Cobra, and Hairspray Live. And I know him because I perform with Garrett all the time in LA. He's one of my very, very close friends. I love him so much. Nobody makes me break on stage like Garrett Clayton. It's ridiculous. Enjoy today's episode. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Garrett Clayton. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Now, hey. my first question for you is because I can't remember because I feel like I've known you my whole life. How did we meet? Was it the Fosters? I I don't I don't know because I feel like I have known you both for so long. Yeah. We've done five shows five or six shows together at this point so it feels like i mean maybe i think we here's the thing i feel like we've we before we worked together we met each other in passing a few times yeah. and then we go and it felt comfortable because we previously met but we didn't know each other but we also didn't we it, we hadn't met most of the other cast yeah so i think like, Romeo and Juliet was us, like, actually bonding, but I think yeah. our meeting was in passing. Yeah, I think so, too. I think my, truly my earliest, like, memories hanging out with you is, like, us on the Foster set doing Romeo and Juliet and going through that crazy boot camp and learning all that choreography <laughs> in which I couldn't walk yeah. for a week. <laughs> the choreo that changed every 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was a journey. But I was, it's funny, because before we got on this, I was like, how did we actually meet each other and I think you're right I think it was in passing yeah we always talk about on the podcast how like you're lucky when you do theater and we do shows and you're able to like keep one friend from a show you know what I mean like outside of the show just like hanging out generally and totally and you have been my one from for like years now yeah, from all the shows. Yeah, from and like about it often, actually. What? We talk about that same thing very often. Yeah, it's so rare to like you know when you're doing a show you're like oh my god we're totally gonna hang out with each other outside and then you never see those people again. But ever, <laughs> ever, like forever. It's like were they in my life? Yeah, and then you see pictures of it like years later and you're like oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That feeling to me is always like that quote. I mean, this is like the super depressing version of it, but I don't mean it this harshly. It just like feels similar. Mm -hmm. It's like when you read those quotes that say, when your best friend becomes a stranger. Mm. Yep. Yeah. It's like those feelings. When you like, you're doing a show for weeks, months, or years with people, and you feel like you're a family. But then you have to leave and, if, and, and you, you know, you get post-show blues and which everyone feels in their own way. But yeah, it's so true. Like you, you usually only get to keep one friend if you're lucky. Yeah. And I got lucky because yeah. I got you. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> we have done Clueless together. I think that's my favorite one I've done with you. We've done 10 Things I Hate About You. We have done a cabaret. It takes three. We've done the Fosters together. We've done I Put a Spell on You together. That's right. Almost Famous. Oh my God, we did Almost right. Famous together. <gasps> that's how we, that's how we bonded. That that's how, how we got. Is that it? That's how we met, I think. 
I wasn't even there and I knew. Wow, thanks. <laughs> thanks for keeping track of our, our lives in the bank. You know, <laughs> it's because we're we, not very good at it. It's uh it's because we watched Rocket Man last night and when he performs at Troubadour, I was like, you, you've performed at Troubadour. That's right. Yeah. It was totally almost famous. And actually, Mick, do you know what happened the day we performed that show? I think I've heard well, yeah, it's it like something crazy, right? It was like the the night before was the bombing in Florida at the at the the gay bar, right? And or I'm sorry, at the queer bar. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to like offend people. I just don't know the right word for mm-hmm. it at this moment. Um, but it was also oh shoot. Oh no, you're not frozen. I thought you were frozen. Yeah. Just kidding. We're just <laughs> listening intently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then. The next day, we were at West Hollywood Pride, right? Or you know, because the Troubadour is right off of um, right off Santa Monica, yeah. and we all held hands before because we considered canceling the show, and everybody unanimously was like, "And mind you, we had everyone. You know, Ashley was in it, Emma Corbin, Corbin Blue. For those who are listening, it was Emma Hunton, me, Ashley, like." Everyone, uh, Chrissy Fit and mm-hmm. Kelly Jekyll from Pitch Perfect, like, it's not like our cast didn't have credits or things going on at that time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if somebody wanted to make a statement against the love and the acceptance that we were trying to project into the world, that was a moment. And we all knew the risk we were taking. And everybody held hands right before the show went on. And we all called our families and were like, I love you. And I know mm-hmm. this is risky, but we're not going to let hate win. And then we all went on with like our hearts beating, not just because we're doing a show, but also because we were, we all had the thought across our minds. Like, am I potentially risking my safety and, and everyone else's safety by doing this? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was also a, a, a show we literally did one time. Once. And so, I mean, the emotions that night were through the roof. That was probably one of the craziest experiences ever. Um, totally. Yeah, but it was, uh, there was something so magical about that night. You were amazing in that show. We sang, like, rock hits. It was, oh, man, it was so fun. I still think everyone else in the show got better songs than me, but I don't want to go there. It was still fun, though. And clearly, that is where we met, and that is where we bonded. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it was fun looking back at Lindsay Heather Pierce. And um, when I when we did the beginning of the show, pretending to be a nine-year-old, which feels so creepy at the, to look back on, Yep. that we were just like, we have to accept the fact that we can't hire a child for the show, so I'm going to have to be the nine-year-old playing with albums right now. Yep. And it was it was special. It was really special. Also, what we had to perform at yeah. the Troubadour, which was like iconic and amazing. That that place is that place is so historic. It, it did kind of blow my mind that we were doing the show there. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thank you. I'm glad we remembered how we met. <laughs> Here to help. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I met you at Rockwell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was the show that I? Was it, no, it wasn't Clueless. I already knew you by Clueless. Hocus Pocus, no, not Hocus Pocus. No, it would have been, it would have been Clueless. It would have been Clueless. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I don't know. Yeah, again, we feel like we've known you. Something about you, Garrett. Yeah, it seems like (laughs) you've been there. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, though, I remember when Ashley first started dating you and she was like, so I'm kind of seeing this guy and I don't want anyone else to know that I'm dating somebody because I really don't like people to know my business. Um... But I do want someone to tell me what they think. And I, so, like, I was, like, mm-hmm. the secret scoping friend. And I don't know if you ever knew it. But I she was, know. like, yeah. She was, like, I want you to meet this guy I'm seeing. And I want you to tell me what you think. <laughs> wow. I feel real called out right now. Wow. No, it was good. I remember. It, I mean, it worked out. Because after you, you guys met and then you, you left that night, I remember she was, like, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then. Yeah, we like it was like a zoom in and it was all it was like it was great and now you're both engaged and it's so exciting. Yay. Yay. I remember um I remember telling you that Mick was taking my dad to dinner to ask for his blessing because he wanted to propose. Do you remember that during Ten Things? Yes, I do. I was like, Garrett, it's happening. He's gonna ask tonight and you were like everything you had to like calm me down. I was really nervous. <laughs> you were and also 
I misconstrued it and thought you meant that you were getting married all of a sudden. <laughs> and so, like, two days after, I was like, when are you getting married? And she, you were like, wait, wait What? <laughs> You're like, and then you were like, did Mick say something to you? Is that happening? And I was like, no, 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 no. I know. I was like, wait, what did I miss? And then because you said that, I was like, is he going to do it during 10 Things? Because 10 Things I Hate About You is one of Mick's favorite movies. So I was like, yeah. oh, is this going to be like a, an onstage proposal kind of situation? Like opening night and then nothing happened. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god no I, to be fair though the only reason my brain would ever go to surprise wedding is because my i'll never forget when i was visiting my dad in florida once he surprise married my stepmom after she thought they were never going to get married like literally that morning before he went to work he was like okay so today's the day i'm going to marry uh your stepmom and i was like I'm, I'm sorry i'm only here for like four days you're getting married tomorrow today what and like he had her girlfriend take her to get her nails done and she, like get a nice dress. And then she showed up and, and there was like 40 people there. And he was just like proposed. And when she said, yes, he was like, great, we're going to get married right now. Whoa. And they walked down to the beach and got married right there. That's wild. Wow. I mean, they're divorced now, so it okay. didn't work out obviously, okay. but, but now I see why you thought like, Oh, it's, it's happening. Yeah. You're getting married. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, exciting. no, but you were, you have been, I mean, you've been here since the beginning of our relationship. And yes, you did, you did vet my boyfriend at the time. That's interesting. <laughs> I am glad, I do appreciate you waiting for an episode of Mismo to reveal that piece of information. That's good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't hiding it. I just think I didn't think to say anything because... <laughs> I didn't realize till after Ashley was like, you called me out in this moment that I <laughs> called her out. This I didn't is, mean, that was. It's fun. This is, this is one of the things I love about doing the podcast is like, why would you ever tell me that? But, <laughs> but here we <Yeah>. are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're done talking about that now. Anyway, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So before I met you, way before I met you, you <clears throat> did a small project called Teen Beach Movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is, it's been really interesting to talk to people on the podcast who started out on Nickelodeon or Disney. And we've talked about mm -hmm. before, um, just in, in Hollywood, when you work on a kid show, kind of just being seen as like, oh, the kid actor for, oh, for a while. Um, mm -hmm. did, did you struggle with that? Like how, was it frustrating to have to like break out of that? What was that like for you? Um, it was an interesting thing for me because everyone who saw me from that thought that I was 16, but when I was shooting the first one, I literally turned 21 in Puerto Rico while we were shooting the movie. Oh my God. So yeah. I was like, I'm not going to like hit puberty and change. Like I'm going to just, this is the way I look. Yeah. So, like, I, I think the only, so, yeah, I, like, through the whole, the, the whole process of being on Disney Channel, I was very fortunate that in my contract, they only had say over my work when I, um, when it conflicted with the shooting schedule of the sequel. Okay. Which is why, like, because I had other friends who were up for other things, and Disney said no for this reason or that reason, but... For me, like, I was very fortunate in that I got to do other stuff while I was doing those things. So, like, I was building a resume through doing the channel. Like, you know, whether it was, I'll never forget um, the one of the heads of Disney. I'm not going to say the name because I know people get touchy. And yeah. this isn't, like, a horrible story. It's yeah. just, like, kind of funny. Um, one, when I ended up booking the Fosters, one of the heads of Disney Channel was like, ugh, ABC family or sorry, freeform is always stealing our talent. And I was like, you're under the same umbrella. Like Disney owns both of these channels. Why yeah. do you care? Yeah. Like don't try and ruin this for me. Um, but yeah, I got to do that. I, I did, um, I did a lifetime movie, uh, called holiday spin with like Ralph Macchio and, um, 
Karen Olivo, who won a Tony Award for Anita and the Revival of West Side Story, mm-hmm. who I'm I was a massive fan of hers. Like her Tony speech actually um I had a weird set of circumstances that I ended up being in the very far back of the audience that year at the Tony Awards oh. wow. when I was cool. like nineteen, just like through a friend on a trip. It was a it was a wild circumstance. And watching her speech and seeing that opening number that year, um I think it was 2010 and like right before I moved to LA and I was really like nervous about making the decision and her speech, I was sobbing. I still to this day will look that speech up when she won. Cause it like, it's all about, she, she was like, you know, this is really hard and you don't believe in yourself a lot. And it's really important to recognize those that support you and love you through this. And, you know, if you have a good pe- base of people around you, um, you can do anything. I mean, that's kind of was the gist of the speech. And it was, it really solidified, like, I know I can do this. And I know that I have people around me who love and support me as who I am, even if I, you know, went through the not being able to come out phase. Um, but yeah, I got to do like a bunch of, and those are just a couple things of like a slew of really cool stuff. So yeah. um, the answer to it is like, it was only hard breaking out of it when I had like, booked and done something like King Cobra or done and then simultaneously did like Hairspray Live because people there was people online like bloggers who were tweeting me like hate messages because they were like mad that another straight person booked another gay role and I was like so upset with myself because I really wanted to be out to be like no someone from the community is representing this person and yeah. but at the same time like I was under the constrictions of a, uh, of a team of people not Disney Channel which a lot of people think it would be them but it's not um, they, they were really supportive when I came out but the team of people I had behind me didn't uh, years before that didn't want me to be out and so I was really trying to work through that trauma with my new team and their love and their support and they really supported me coming out um, I would say though the biggest struggle has been since coming out um, facing the prejudice of people's perceptions of me suddenly shifting, like as if I'm not the same person or have the same creativity level. And I can book all the live and orchestrated work um, that my heart desires, which I'm very fortunate, but booking things in TV and film have suddenly become skewed because of other people's prejudice. And I see that now and I'm living it now. Mm. Because in the two years that I've come out, I haven't been able to get to book anything. Really? Not one. If you look at it, like, up until I came out, I had movies, I was doing movies, like, I had a movie with Nick Cage, I did this other one, um, uh, yeah, I, I did Between Worlds with Nick Cage, or uh, Peel with Emil Hirsch, and, like, I was doing all these really cool, weird, random things, uh, like, I guested on The Real O'Neills, and all this was yeah. before I came out, but as soon as I came out, it, like, it all came to a halt. And so it really just shows me that, like, while the industry wants to project this inclusivity and we support people that are different thing, when you really, like, it seems like they're only doing things as a fad, not because they actually are doing, like, real structural change is what is what I'm gathering. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that, Garrett. Wow. Um, God, <laughs> man. Uh, but okay. So, so now after that, with that hindsight though, um, you know, at the same time coming out for you was, I don't know, I, extremely public, right? Um, mm-hmm. cause you were known and I think a couple of things were written about it after you announced it, but um, you know, we, we knew you before we knew you. Yeah. Right. So by the way, you guys don't worry. Like I've, I'm okay. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the beauty of all of this not only has given me a perspective, but getting to start things like a gay in the life, or even just doing like the stuff that we did at the Rockwell or the things that I did with like the cherries at the Rockwell, like there's certain pieces of, of work or statements that I've made online that, I've been very fortunate to um, be a positive example that someone from um, the LGBTQ plus community can have success and can persevere. Like a lot of people, you know, whether, 
whatever their perception of success is irrelevant because to me, like most people don't even last in this city 10 years. Mm-hmm. Not only have I lasted in this city, but I've already, I've been fortunate enough to work hard, make a name for myself, make it through a lot of bullshit and still come out the other end and then be a good example of someone who can be gay and can be successful and isn't scared to talk about it. Yeah, that's kind of what I was what I was going towards is yeah. you've lost some work opportunities maybe from that just because of I, uh, what you said, the perception on film and TV, like you, you haven't been doing as many movies and TV shows, but at the same time, a lot of incredible things did come out of you coming out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I've, I've been more embraced by the community um, than I anticipated. Like when I did come out, I did, I just, I only did it as an Instagram post. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't go to a magazine to start it. I didn't go, I didn't go to like, I, di- I didn't go do one of the big public things. I did it in a space where I knew people were wanting to follow my journey day to day and that they cared about me. They didn't care about the money. And I, to this day, get messages from young um, LGBTQ plus people like with our channel, we get messages every day of people who need advice or need hope or will like in all of our comment sections are people sharing their stories or um, like we're getting to talk to so many people with different perspectives like this. Um, just today, we put on an episode um, where we talk to someone from the Native American community who identifies as two spirit and then describes to us what that actually means mm. and like how they identify as masculine and feminine. They have pronouns for like their pronouns are he, him, she, uh, wait, he, her, she, his, um, auntie, uncle, grandma, grandpa, they, wow. like, it's, they live without boundaries because they're the cultural leaders and spiritual leaders of their community where, um, I, uh, their name is John Sneezy, which best name ever, <laughs> um, and was talking about how the elders taught them about their rituals and how to like, when, when people are, when young men or women are coming of age, like what to do and how to, how to like um, celebrate or support or whatever it means for their culture. And like uh, women who are pregnant come to them with advice or like, there's so many things that they do for their community that people would never even anticipate. Like, how much of that they, and it, it also is, uh, means like both identifies as masculine and feminine and whatever that spectrum exists. Right. And so like, because I've, I've lived without those boundaries or those prejudices of other people. And mind you, like, I know that like the experience I've had in auditions and work and things is that there's still people playing into stereotypes a lot. And because I live in the middle where I'm like, I'm not scared to be feminine or masculine or like, you know, do, do drag or be butch or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't, the thing is like, I know creativity is expression and art and love. And like, that's all that matters. But a lot of people want me to walk in. Like I just uh, a couple months ago, I had an audition where it was for a gay person who was like a hotel clerk. And I did it. Like, I was like, Oh, well like he's kind of sassy, but he's not like, he's not a stereotype. It would just be funny to watch like some angry, like hotel person be like, you're weird. Get away from me. And then they were like, can you be more sassy with it? And I was like, Oh, you want the stereotype. So Mm -hmm. you're going to hire a stereotype and whoever walks in with the stereotype. So it's like, like I said, where people aren't actually providing change. They're providing um, like band-aids without having to actually structurally change the way the work is made. Yeah. Wow. I remember when you composed your coming out Instagram post and we were sitting, I think you, we were doing Clueless, I'm pretty sure. And you came in and I was sitting on our favorite, Lacey. Um, (laughs) I don't know if anyone knows this, but in addition to being a very talented actor, singer, producer, director, writer, all the things, Garrett is also a world-renowned wig what would you call it? Wig, um, connoisseur, yeah, stylist. connoisseur and stylist. And, uh, if you came to see Clueless at the Rockwell, um, my wig looked good because of Garrett. Oh my God. <laughs> but you showed us the post and you, it was so cute. You came around and we knew that we knew you were, you were planning on doing that and you showed all of us the post and it was, it was so, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've known you for a while now and it was so 
touching and exciting to see you so excited about the post because you were finally just able to be yourself. And, you know, you and Blake have been together for a really long time and, and we all knew Blake, but the world hadn't known him yet. And you were just so excited that, um, that you could scream your love from the rooftops. I remember you telling me, because Mick and I had been together for a while and you, I, I had posted something about him and you came into work one day and you were like, I want to do that. Like, I want to share my love with other people. And you brought in that post and it was, it was so exciting. And I remember us all being so, just so happy for you and, and so excited for you. And of course, still yeah. am. And we're all, I'm you- so proud of you and, and I love you. I'm just going to gush over you for the, for the hour long episode we're doing. <laughs> well, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't think that it was going to get the news attention it did because I was like, people come out. I feel like I guess people don't frequently come out in in, in the entertainment industry with yeah. notoriety often, but I guess I took that for granted because I I wasn't fully um, like now I'm so I'm so much further into the community that I see that it's further and fewer between where when you're kind of outside of it, you think it like happens a lot more because people are talking about it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I didn't, I I literally like, I remember putting it up that morning and being like, okay, like some people are going to care. Some aren't. And I went to go work out. And then I looked at my phone an hour and a half later and was like, Oh my God, (laughs) us, us weekly and people and like all these news outlets picked it up entertainment or whatever. It was just like, what the what the fuck (laughs) but it was nice to see like 99% of it I mean there's still like the God hates fags but I'm always like hey if if God sends all the happy gay people to to hell I don't feel like that's hell that's a good point (laughs) now with the um, with you coming out and you getting less movie and TV roles, have has that um, has that inspired you to to create your own film and, and TV work for yourself? Like, have you written or mm-hmm. or talked about like directing anything or writing anything? So I was a part of there was a pitch for a TV show uh, that was put together with some really cool people, uh, the showrunners from. Um, who did things like How I Met Your Mother or mm-hmm. Seinfeld, Daria, all of these. Mm-hmm. One of them uh, they have right now, uh, Sam has uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which mm-hmm. is nominated for eight Emmys. Mm-hmm. And they're attached as the showrunners. And Ben Giroux, our one of our other really good friends, yeah. is, uh, wrote the, um, the, the pitch for it, mm-hmm. made the pitch deck and everything. And... Um, so I connected him with my team, and now he's represented by the same managers. Nice. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and we literally, the month COVID was, like, the lockdown was happening, we had all of our pitch meetings. Ah. Wow. And, like, literally all of our pitch meetings <laughs> for that month. And then the industry blew up, and then all of us were like, well, shit, we have to put this on pause. Because right now I know a lot of friends who are pitching a lot of things, but the consensus is overall that places are, like, because they haven't even gotten to shoot the pilots or the shows they already have up, it's really hard to sell anything right now because of how um, precarious our industry is. Yeah. So we've had to put what we put together on hold so that we can pitch it properly when the time comes to when people are actually buying things again. Yeah. When our industry comes back and, and things are so semi somewhat normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, how have you been keeping busy in quarantine? Um, well, gay in the life has taken up a lot of time. Yes. Um, obviously doing a lot of TikToks. But I will be honest, like, TikTok is popping. And, like, it's well, – the reason I do it is because it's so much more positive than the other platforms. The community seems a lot happier. Everyone knows how to take a joke a lot better. Like, 
everyone's just really wanting to be in that spot to have a lot of fun. And that's why, because like I'll take some of my TikToks and post them on Instagram a lot fewer than the actual amount that I make. Mm -hmm. And there's always so many more negative comments on Instagram of like, somebody's always mad about something. And it's like, or like I'll literally just be dancing and they're like, oh, and he came out here, like blew that door open and like blend, like lay into these, like really, I think like, I don't, I think they think it's a joke, but I'm like, I don't really think people realize how damaging and homophobic it looks or makes other people. Cause that the optics of that, like, it's not even for me. Like I'm a strong individual. I don't give a fuck what you think. I really don't. I don't give a flying, I flying fart in space. I don't care. (laughs) What I care about is the young, I know that I, because of the position I'm in, I'm an example for younger people and I want it to be a positive one. I'm not saying it's a PG one, but it is a positive one Mm -hmm. in that I don't want them to see damaging homophobic comments in the section. I want them to see positivity and that there's a community of people out there who love them and that they are in a safe space when they come to my page. I feel very safe when I go to your page. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Now, I don't even know if I know this, but, and this is sort of a generic question, but I am actually interested to, to know how you got started. You are from Detroit. Am I right about that? You are 100% correct. Sorry. I'm just plugging in my phone seat so I don't die. <laughs> don't uh, die on me. No. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, yes. Um, so I got started because I, so I started in commercial modeling when I was 13. I was with an agency in Chicago and an agency in three agencies in Detroit because there was no exclusivity contracts in Detroit because the market was a lot smaller. Ah. Uh, and so I was doing that. Like I was, or like, you know, those, those like neighborhood packets where they like, hold on one second. Uh, God damn this plug. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me run upstairs and get a plug really quick. If we go over that, it might just be like a little bit over. He bolts. He runs. Just have to get a charger. Okay. Shit. This is the horror sequence of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay, Dash. I'm okay. Hi, Dash. Your favorite thing oh. to sit there is, hi, buddy. Oh. Like a pigeon. Um, so I start, yeah, so I started in commercial modeling. And two years later, I got my first movie. I'd been doing a bunch of community theater. But Michigan suddenly got this, like, crazy tax break. So we had a flood of movies. Oh. Huh. So I did this movie that still isn't out till this day, which is, kind of brilliant and I was just this like precocious annoying teenager in it with the guy who directed it did his name's John Higby and he did all the visual effects for like journey to the center of the earth like a bunch of big box office movies and the and it was I don't know I guess it the vision I'm sorry John it don't look great we're gonna move on so um it's still not out. And if you look up like the footage of it on YouTube that was released, these it's it. She needs some TLC. Sure. Sure. But it's also like if 16 years later, the movie's still not out. What are you doing? Yeah, for sure. That's only acceptable for boyhood. Yeah, but that's because they filmed it in stages. Not They didn't film the whole thing in a month and a half. It took them all that time to film it. If, if your movie we, hasn't come out yeah. for 16 years after it's been cut, it's for a reason. That's uh, it's a tough break. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that got me in. And then I did, I ended up booking these other movies, Oogie Love and the Big Balloon Adventure, which is, right next to we are your friends at the worst box office rating like mo- amount of money it ever got back it's right next to it oh. so the comparison to me at Zac Efron is like just so it's great it's like when people are like I thought you're Zach and I'm like well we both have the least grossing movie of all time Thanks. congrats but, 
<laughs> but I was just a dancer in it, so I don't really care. But it was fun, though, because it was with, like, Chaz Palminteri from, um, uh, uh, what, uh, the, it's, it was, like, the HBO mobster TV show. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't know the name of it, but I, I can see the trailer for it in my head. The HBO, like, Sopranos? Yes, he was okay. in Sopranos. Yeah. Um, there was him. There was Christopher Lloyd. Um, oh, Tony Braxton, Jamie Presley. Like, it was a great cast. Oh, sure. But it was, it, was this weird, it was this weird circumstance where the producers bought the rights to this really successful show, kids show from the Midwest. It was the same people who made Teletubbies. But the problem is the producer wanted to change the title of the thing. And then the audience that loved it didn't know what it was anymore. So they didn't go see it. Why would you change the title of the thing you bought the property for? Oh, yeah. Huh. Hmm. If it's already successful. Yeah. It was based off a TV show that is already, what are you doing? Anyway. Yeah. So I did that. And then I got this, I got, I went to two casting calls that changed my life. I booked Days of Our Lives from a 15 person, 1500 people went to it and I booked a talent search. Ooh. Oh my God. And then while I was doing, uh, which that got me a flight to LA and I knew it would happen in a few months. And then in that time period, I was doing high school musical two on stage re- in a, at a regional theater. Mm-hmm. I was Ryan nice. and yeah. And I knew there was a casting call three hours North in Michigan. And so my friend Emily and I were like, can we go there audition and come back in time? Let's see. So we did it and I wait and then, and then it was another line of 1500 people and I wait, we waited a couple hours and I, the director happened to be sitting there and like where in the room were in the room where it happened. And yeah, yeah, I thought you would appreciate that. Um, and so I just started talking. I didn't know he was, it it ended up being Dustin Lance Black who won the Oscar for um, Milk. Mm -hmm. He wrote Milk. Mm -hmm. And, but I was like a precocious 17 year old who like didn't know better. So it was like, oh, are you from here? And I was like, yeah, I'm from here. I was like, I drove three hours to this shit. I'm exhausted. But I have a show tonight. So I got to hurry up and get it and get going. He was like, Oh, really? He was like, do you have a job? And I was like, I mean, I have a job, but I have a show tonight. But I then I but I have my I have to stop by my job. He was like, oh, what do you do? And I said, I work at this Middle Eastern uh, restaurant and I cut food in the back. But then I cut myself and like and not, and then I looked at him. I was like, I don't mean like I cut my wrist. I mean, I didn't I'm not I cut my finger and I got stitches. And now I oh, this is so bad. And he was like, no, this isn't bad. This is hilarious. Keep going. And much like the rest of my life, I always say the wrong thing. So I, I was just like, well, I really want to work on this movie in any way I can. I don't cut my wrists and it was nice to meet you. I'm going to walk away now. Oh my God. And then, yeah, I know. And <laughs> they thought I had gumption. So they gave me an audition for the lead. And I ended up getting down to the final pick. It was between me and the guy who got it. And one of the producers of the movie called me. This is before, this was like, I told you, it was like, it just was, it felt so kismet. And one of the producers of the movie called me and he was like, hey, I saw your audition for the main character. And although you didn't get the part, it wasn't because of your talent. It was because they decided you were the commercial choice. And the other guy was like the indie movie choice. And they wanted it to feel more like an indie movie. And I was like, okay, but don't, commercial movies make more money and you just spent like $10 million on this thing. I didn't say that, mm-hmm. but I was thinking it. <laughs> and he was like, but I think you have a lot of potential. And if you keep your head on straight, I think you could have a future in this industry. And I'm also a part of a company that manages talent. And if you ever find yourself in LA, I want you to um, keep my number and keep my email. And if you ever find yourself there, let's take a meeting and I want you to meet the team and see if we could work together. I ended up booking another role on that movie. So I messaged him and was like, Hey, so I have this role now. Um, should I meet and talk to you while I'm on set? And so then they, he set up a specific meeting and we did that. And then when I went to LA and filmed days of our lives, 
I had a meeting at his company and also, oh, and uh, do you know Taylor Spreitler? Yeah. Though I don't know her personally, but I yeah, know Yeah, she yes. was my first kiss on, on TV. Uh. Aww. <laughs> That's so cute. And so, I know, and she invited me to her barbecue that night, and I happened to meet two guys who needed a third roommate. And so, I ended up, when I got home, I was like, am I breaking up? Am I ruining this? No. No, not at all. No? Oh, great. So, I, the guys were like, if you move here, we'll have a room for you. We just need you to commit to it. And so, I went back to Michigan, and I was like, okay, I have... I have people who want to be my managers and I have people who need a roommate. This is life telling me something. Mm. And so I had a big garage sale and my, my mom and stepdad were literally pulling furniture out of the house. They were just, so they were like, they're like, you at least need two months of rent so you can like find a job first yeah, and make enough money to stay. So I like, I left my, I was in a BFA for music theater at the time. And so I left my program I quit my program. I sold everything I had and I moved to LA and, and all I had was like two months of rent, maybe managers. And that was it. Wow. So you were in a BFA program that you dropped. How far, how far along were you there? I was a year in. What, where? Oakland university. That's cool. We, we've talked to a bunch of people who were university trained who stuck it out and, and there's a lot of takes on that because a lot, of, a lot of schools don't really want you to audition while you're still in school and want you to finish up. Yeah. So what was it, I guess, you know, the combination of the roommates and the managers was enough for you to feel like this is, this is fate, I have to take a, but you took a real leap of faith there. Um, what, what, was it that made you decide it was time to leave school and and just go all in? Of course. Can you pause it? No, don't pause it. Just, just kidding. Don't pause it. I'll just cut. It. Oh no! Oh no! Hello. Where are you? Hello. There you are. I was just trying to do this, the voice time, because I feel like it would cut out less. It, uh, you're, you've been, I mean, that's the only time that we, you broke, was yeah. that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But you've okay. been fine. If it if it cuts okay, out good. again, maybe we'll do the voice, but yeah. so far it's been okay. Yeah. Did you hear the end of my question there before we cut out? Um, I believe it was, what's my viewpoint on people leaving versus staying in college, or you're even going? Yeah, I, I asked basically, like, what was it that, that gave you the, the, convinced you that to take the leap of faith and, and go for it? Mm. So I feel like, because I've, what I, the position I was in, I thought to myself, like, I'm going to school for this thing that I'm already getting paid to do. Sure. Yep. And not only am I, like, sometimes getting paid to do it but i've been getting paid to do this since i was 13 yeah why am i like so what i ended up doing was concocting a game plan of being like i'll go to college but instead of doing my gen eds i'm going to take all all of the all of the um classes for my major that actually apply to the thing i'm going to need to do in life so I was taking something like 11 classes a semester, mm. whether it was yeah. like um, design, makeup. I, had to, I was studying classical and music theater voice with different teachers. Um, I was doing two different dance classes a semester, um, wow. which was, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I ended up getting is trying to fit in as much of a crash course college as I could. I... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, 11 classes is no joke. And I lived 45 minutes away. So I would wake up like 
extra early to drive every morning there and back. Wow. Wow. The dedication. That's what I don't think people ever understand is how dedicated I've been to this my whole life. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, well, you always ask a question. Yeah. I mean, the one question I ask every guest is what is the biggest misconception of being an actor? Misconception? Yeah. Um, that the job is like innately glamorous when most of it is rejection. Sure. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the glamorous moments somehow 90% of the time feel overwhelming because you feel like nobody even cares if you're there. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I like how you, um, well, thanks for telling us the, the whole like cu- what led you to Teen Beach Movie because people, I feel like, uh, maybe think that you just started with that. You just like walked into that and then you've had a career since then. But you did work and work and work to get to that point and it's um those glamorous couple of moments that we get in our career are the little percentage that's above the water but there's a whole iceberg of work below the surface that nobody ever sees yeah definitely and i the thing is like when i moved to la i still had two solid years working at a 24-hour restaurant 5 p.m to 5 a.m five six days a week So I was learning lines while I was like waiting tables or it was like 2 a.m. And I had drunk people spilling shit all over me. And I was like, hate this, but it'll be worth it at the end. I still have people in Hollywood who who will be like, oh, hey, you're the guy from Crave. Congrats. You made it out. And I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) When did you like when did you know it was time to quit your your side job and like go 100 percent into the business? Um, it was honestly, it was like all because of Teen Beach Movie, the money I had from that helped me sustain. Because right after I did Teen Beach, I ended up doing that Lifetime movie like a month after that, right? And then I had this warped reality like the money that jobs just were going to be like so easy from then, yep. And and so I, was, I, I had all this money. And, you know, truth be told, like, I always really admire the Sprouse twins for, like, going to work at Starbucks in college. Like, mm-hmm. most people have their pride is so high that, like, they're like, I'll never do that again. And it's like, I never really, like, disliked being a waiter. I just disliked the way people treat waiters. Yeah. I remember I was in dylan and cole's year at nyu and i remember um i ended up leaving after my first semester but i think it was like the semester right after that one of them got a job as a bartender and i remember it being in the news and they were like you know one of the sprouse twins has no more money and he has to go to he has to be a bartender to sustain himself in school and he had to like come out and do an interview and be like no i'm fine i just like i just wanted to be normal and like have a, a a normal person job for a little while and that's also okay yeah it's like i'm yeah i don't have a I, I never have an issue with those things i think people's perception of those things has warped because they think that like it's like this hollywood thing like you you can't lift a finger and it's <laughs> it's not anyone who has too much of an ego to lift a finger can suck it i don't want to be their friend yeah Okay, so now I want to shift a little bit and I'm going to talk to both of you because you have worked so much together <laughs> and you you two are really great on stage together. I've been in many audiences when it's the two of you up there together. Um, we also you- did Stranger Things. That's one right. Night. Stranger Things, so many Rockwell things yeah. together. And then... We are on stage all of the time together. Yeah. Uh, so just real simply, like what's the, what's the level of trust when you're on stage together after doing so many shows? 1000% trust. I, I know that I can from across the room do a trust fall and then you'll somehow be there and be like, I got it. I'll run. I'd run. It'd be easy. (laughs) Yeah. Also, she's, I think people don't realize how light as a feather Ashley is. (laughs) And so there's so many times when we'd have to like prat fall or do like a funny push or like I'd have to lift her. And uh, actually here's a couple examples. 
One, when we were doing Romeo and Juliet, we had to do a lift and all the girls had to fan kick to the, oh, like while you lifted them. I would always lift Ashley too high. And so they had, they were literally like, you have to partners because you can't keep lifting Ashley that high in the air. And I was like, I'm not trying. I just can't. She's so light. It's hard. I, I just pick up. I don't have, it doesn't take any effort. Thanks. And then, yeah. Or there was like a time when we were doing Clueless and I had to like laugh and push her, but she actually had to brace herself because the first time I did it, she actually flew off stage, but it wasn't even intentional. It's just because I, I always forget that she doesn't, she's like so light as a feather. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's- it's hysterical, especially that push and clueless in particular was always like, I always knew it was coming and I was like, okay, you just need to like, you need to give a little resistance here because if you don't, you're just going to fly off stage right and it's just going to mm-hmm. be really sad. But a good example of it would be like when we were doing um, Stranger Things the first night Ashley went on. The only night Ashley went on. I know. <laughs> and she came out to me before and was like, okay, so I don't know what I'm doing because... We're at the Rockwell. So if I'm singing and I'm in the wrong spot, just shove with love and tell me where to go. With And I was like, great. And so we did all of the actual choreo with me guiding her lightly, just like tapping shoulders to make it look like it was a part of the scene when really it was just me being like, you go left, you go right now. You go here. <laughs> there was that. And I remember when I went on as cat because i played bianca in 10 things i hate about you but there was the one night i had to go on as cat and um there's that party scene where i'm like dancing on a box and i have to like fall on you or like we're singing and you have to like you have to grab me and i'm like sitting on you and there were so many things like so many physical things in that show and i remember i don't even think we rehearsed any of it before we went on like we had one put in that earlier that day. Yeah, and it was it was so like it was just one of those things where I was like, I know he's like he's not going to drop me. He's he'll he'll catch me when I fall off of this box. Like I know he's going to be there. Um, and it was I don't know performing. I think we had such instant trust with each other, but obviously that has built and built and built through through the years of performing together. But I I'm pretty yeah. proud to say that since the beginning, it's been pretty like. Oh, no, Garrett and I got it. Like, we're fine. Oh, actually, there is something I wanted to ask you, and it pertains to my wedding. I'll just ask you on this because I feel like it might be a fun point for your podcast. Okay. Um, uh, During our wedding, like, during the the, – is is it the thing that comes after the reception, right? Yes. Great. This is how much I know about weddings. Nice. I want, I, I plan, I really want to do Love on Top in a three-part harmony with you and Desi. Done. Oh my God. Are we oh, taking wow. It Takes Three to your wedding? That's, I want, I literally want us three to get on stage and do Beyonce's Love on Top. Done. Oh my God. Am I? That'll be great. As, as we. Which I per- feel like would be great. As we perform together, I, I am usually the top harmony. Would you like me to just start learning that top harmony? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's something that we're going to have to work out with Doug. Okay, great. <laughs> Perfect. For anyone listening who does not know this, we also did a cabaret together. We It was the first tour I've ever, I guess besides like a, a musical theater tour, it is the first yeah. tour I've ever done. Me too. I think the me driving you and Desi up to San Francisco <laughs> qualifies me as a roadie. For that, <laughs> you were you were the best roadie man. Thanks. And you also took the best videos. Yeah, right. It was well, the hey. greatest thing ever. So we did. It takes three. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about one how it came to be? But also, I think it's so incredible that you included me and Desi, and why you included me and Desi. So, do you want to talk a little bit about our wonderful yeah. little touring show? Yeah. So because I was. Disneyland, which side note, somebody recorded when I had to sing the Whitney Whitney Houston song I sang that night, which the worst, like the DJ was great as long as it didn't have to do with live singing. Sorry to this DJ, but absolutely had no idea how to mix a live singer into it because I had to have a recorded track because um, they didn't have room on stage for a band and they also went to a new venue that they never used before. So Mm -hmm. I was like, 
I have to sing two songs. And then my friend convinced me to sing this Whitney Houston song, which was a terrible idea. Um, because not only because it's Whitney Houston, but, and I'm a man, but, but like other, other men can sing Whitney. Well, I just had a really bad sound designer Yeah, and it sounded really bad. And somebody put it online the other day and I was so mad because the Hocus Pocus song sounded so amazing right before that, that I was like, how dare you use only the bad one, but that's often how the universe. Of course. Um, right. Um, but anyway, so I had to sing for Gay Days for Disneyland. And I asked Ashley and Desi to record the vocals of the sisters with me. Because they're like my sisters in real life. Um, yeah. And always and forever. Um, nice. Like if something happened and I knew I, would, I needed to call people, I know that I would call you and Desi. And I'd be like, I need you. And I know that I wouldn't be, they're like, there's certain people in your life that everyone has that you're like, I know that I can count on these people. Yep. Uh, and so I, I called you and Desi and we're like, Hey, can you record? I have to make this thing for gay days at Disneyland. Cause I have to sing and it's October and I want to do spell on you from Hocus Pocus. And the recording went so well that we ended up calling our friend Ben Giroux. And then we made a music video of spell on you. And then, this concert agent got a hold of me and wanted me to do a tour. And I want, I didn't want to do it alone because I wanted to share the stage with people I love. And I was like, I don't want this to be just me alone. I know other people do it, but it just feels so self-serving a lot of the time, the cabaret shows that I'm like, I miss, I miss the vaudeville community aspect of it where you did numbers with people. And like, that's why I fell in love with theater was to spend time with people I love. And like, throw that into the world and just like share that joy with an audience, but also share that joy on stage. And I don't really feel that when I'm alone, I feel that when I'm with people I love. And so I called Ashley and Desi and we ended up making a wonderful show. That was like, we cried every night on stage because we were telling stories. It takes three is literally an hour and a half of us talking about friendship and love and our journeys and like how we came to be the people we are and how we've, um, given that joy and that love to the people we love and why we do that. Yeah, it was, it was the best. I had so much fun doing that show. We got to sing together. We got to sing suddenly Seymour together. I mean, the dream. Yeah. Sorry if I'm over for talking, by the way, I'm trying to explain things more because it's a podcast. No, that's (laughs) no, you're doing, you're doing great, sweetie. (laughs) I had one more question going back, though, for you two, because I've seen both of you so much perform at Rockwell. So, and I've seen both of you play a very wide range of characters. I feel like um, one of the great things about theater is you get to push your limits a little bit more than film and TV, where you're most of the time going to be cast as something a little close to your type. But, I mean, I've seen Ashley do a million things at Rockwell and Garrett. I've seen you be... The stoner, the villain, the, you know, cute boyfriend, the Heath Ledger, like... All of it. So many different things. So for both of you, um, what has been the value of Rockwell being a sort of a stomping grounds to to spread your wings and try a bunch of different things? Oh, do you want to go first? Okay. Um... You know what? I would actually love to bring it back to a point we talked about earlier and the prejudice that I face in the industry since coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like where every every other aspect has felt a little harder because of people's bias and uh, profiling and stereotyping, um, in those two years, I feel like Rockwell has become the easier thing in my life. Not that the work is easier because Lord knows it's a lot of work to do those shows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like creatively, emotionally, community, all those things have felt easier because of that space. And more importantly, and something I think should be more highlighted is our people. We have built such a loving community of people there 
that are supportive of you growing as as um, an entertainer and an artist and as a creative and that I feel like I've gotten to step into my power and hold my own a lot better because of the the triumphs and the fails that I've done on that stage. And I've, I felt more confident being different characters because of the freedom that our, the community in that space has allowed me to explore where I feel like it's been criticized a lot in other, other aspects of my work where people are either don't understand it or don't want something too avant-garde because it's scary or the, the unknown in our community and on that stage, it's embraced and people are like, I see where you're going, fine tune it. And it's going to be brilliant. Yeah. And I think, um, from, from me, I, it's a few things for me. Rockwell uh, changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, I think just in the career sense, I was seen as like the Nickelodeon and Disney girl for a really long time. Um, and even when I broke out of that, like when I got to do the Fosters and when I got to do things where I could be a little bit older, um, there was still always that like, I feel like everyone in LA was still like, yeah, but she's still like the little kid, you know? And that was yeah. really tough. Um, but because like Rockwell didn't see me as a 15 year old, Rockwell didn't see me as a Filipino girl. Like they just saw me as a human being who can sing, act and dance. And so I, I remember when Kate told me, who's the um, old artistic director of Rockwell, when she said she wanted me to be Cher in Clueless, it was the most astonishing thing to me. Cause I was like, but I don't look like Cher from Clueless. And she was like, yeah, but you can sing it and you're funny as hell. So like, you're going to be Cher in Clueless. And it was, that one in particular was so eye-opening for me because I was like, oh, there are people who who don't care what I look like, who don't care that I am not a white girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, mm-hmm. And it was so eye-opening to me. And it, it too, gave me the freedom to be like, oh, I, I can do anything. And it just gave me so mm-hmm. much confidence. And yes, to agree with you, the community that we created there and the community we got to be a part of is really special. It really is a community of just no judgment and so much love and respect for other human beings. Um, there's no like, Oh, I hate that person because that person can sing better than I can. It's like, we are all the first ones. Like if we're not cast in a show, we're all the first ones to be there opening night and like scream our faces (laughs) off for all of our friends. And, and even if you are on stage, the everyone in the cast is standing around the room snapping when you hit the note. Exactly, like, exactly. And it's, it's you know, we all know this. It's not something, that sense of community and that sense of love and respect from other people is not something that you get in every TV show or movie you work on or even every, you know, theater show you do. So I think it, it was truly a joy to be a part of, of Rockwell and it has brought so many incredible people into my life. And like I said, it, my first show there, it, it truly saved my life and changed my life. And, and it's something that I'm always super grateful for. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is I feel like because of that space, like doing the stuff with, with Cherry Poppins, mm-hmm. I never thought I could do those things. I always yeah. loved to, and loved his work and was like, God, I wish I could be, I wish I could do things like, like Rocky or picture show. Mm-hmm. And I always figured out Brad or a Rocky. But when I got to step into doing that and be the Frankenfurter for like, for Cherry Poppins, for just that like Halloween show for the first time, I was like, Oh, I can be sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I defi- can- it showed us things that we were like, Eh, I could never do that. And then all of a sudden, like you're thrown on stage and they're like, no, you can just do it. I promise you, you can do it. And then you just feel like, I mean, it feels like you can take over the world. It's so crazy. And also in the, in the most basic sense, like it's allowed me, like when I work on, on film or TV now to like, because I have to learn things so quickly at Rockwell, because we get, you know, 
two seconds of rehearsal. Like, it's yeah. allowed me to literally pick up a script and be like, you need me to do this? Great, let's do it. Like, let's do it right now. I can do it. Totally. Um, yeah. The confidence level you get from working at Rockwell is, like, off the charts. Yeah, I feel, like, more confident in even, like, my queerness. Yeah. Like, I never would have said that before this. I never, I never even thought, I never even thought that I had it. But, like, being someone in the community, why, why have I denied that side of myself or not let myself have, like, just as a, as a basic human thing, like we're allowed to have that inside of us. We're allowed to have different facets and different moods and different colors. And it feels like that was just a space that said, you are allowed to be anything you want to be. Yeah. Stop others, inhibit your creativity and break the glass ceiling and see what you can let yourself do the things that you, you've always wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. And also Rockwell means a lot to me because I, you know, met this guy there. So yeah. yeah. So there's that. I, from all of the performers that I've seen there, it's like um, it's like a grad school. It's like a rep theater company where you get to just do so many different things. It's not there's not a set like in a repertory theater company where it's like these are the members of the theater company, but there kind of is. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> yeah, like it's, and especially you two who have done so many different shows there. It's um, it's been. It's been a pleasure to watch both of you. Oh, you're both thanks. very talented. And, <laughs> and you're both good people. All right. All right. Gross. That's enough. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thank you. Sure. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it some more. <laughs> All right, Garrett, we, we always end with a fill-in-the-blank question. So this could be um, one word, maybe a sentence, maybe a, a one-act musical, if you come up with that on the spot, whatever you got for us. Um, acting is. Acting is. Acting is. Acting is. Freedom. Love it. Wow. Thank you.